I'm on the historic Queen Mary with Euphemet producer Tyler Carey, and it's his first time traveling with me for a taping. Tyler is a skeptical but open person, and over the last few days aboard has already experienced a taste of the creepiness associated with producing this show. Spirit divination attempts, ghost hunts, long empty hallways, and cold dark engine rooms. Have you ever been in such a uh, allegedly haunted location before? No, definitely not. Uh, I think... No, I don't think I've ever been anywhere that was notoriously haunted. Um, I've been in houses before where people are like, oh yeah, there's a ghost here because this woman or whatnot died a long time ago. It's like, okay, but this is a legitimately haunted place. And I felt it last night. You felt it last night? Last night on the tour, I had to leave that final tunnel. Not because of my claustrophobia, which I've been talking to you about this whole time, but I literally got, had this physical reaction, got cold sweats. As soon as I walked in, got a cold sweat and my heart rate just jumped. And I was like, I no, I have to leave right now. I didn't see anything. I didn't feel anybody tickling my ear or anything, but I had a very quick noticeable, like, physical reaction to that spot specifically and I left I walked all the way back to up to the top of that boiler room I was I was out of there and I mean that's after a night where we perhaps heard a disembodied voice the Queen Mary had a very special nickname during World War II hoping that a spirit person here knows what it is Queen Mary was known as the Grey Okay, let's just stop right there. Do you hear that? Yes. The ghost? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I do. Wait, that wasn't somebody speaking just then? Mm-hmm. No. I don't think so. That sounds just like the uh, Mary lady. I picked yeah. it up on the mic here. So. I thought somebody had whispered it. No, it sounded like... It, yeah. Where did it sound like... Okay, first one. Okay. it was over here. Yeah, it was yeah. Me too. Mm-mm. Did you hear it? Oh, I, heard it I didn't clear. hear anything. I, it I heard it. Yeah. I didn't hear anything. Whoa. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Do, do you know the answer to that, by the way? No. Me too. I didn't say. Uh-uh. It's a very, it's a kind of a esoteric kind of thing to know that. I mean, it's not everybody knows it. I didn't know yeah. the answer. Who knew the answer, Grey Ghost? Ghost. Okay, you. Anybody else? Yeah, you have to really n- know this. Didn't say anything. Where did you hear it from? Right over there. Okay. How? 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 Okay. Okay. I mean, I could be wrong, but I heard it more here yeah, in the pie. Yeah. Where'd you yeah, hear it same. from? That way. It's somewhere towards there. Towards that one. It wasn't. It wasn't you guys. It wasn't. So it was. So let's let's just stop here. Let's just stop here for a second. That was the voice of resident ghost investigator Matthew Schultz and something, someone else, perhaps answering his call in the rope room last night. But now, Tyler and I are deep below the deck, and it's as if we've traveled back in time to the 1940s. We sit in the ornately occult theatrical space of illusionist Aidan Sinclair, and Tyler is on edge. 
the period-appropriate music humming like if from an old Victrola, one could imagine similar rooms, dimly glowing nearly 100 years ago, filled with curious seekers and socialites draped in dark fabric, hoping to connect with the dead. The space itself is magic. It manifests another world, a different time, one in which feels familiar, but separate, like a life once lived, like a ghost. Did you see that? Did you see that? No, what happened? Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that, a bell. Yeah, the bell in the cabinet just fell over by itself. Okay, explain where we're at right now. We are sitting in the front row of the area where Aiden's show is about to start, looking at the stage, and there's these ornate things decorating the stage, a white gown, uh, some chairs, tables, and in the center is a glass door, wooden cabinet, with all these, you know, trinkets and things inside. And I saw Aiden come out here earlier and place that bell standing up in that cabinet and close the door. And he hasn't been in this room since. And there's no one else in here except you and me. And that bell just fell over. Out of nowhere. There's no one in here. There's no one around. Just fell over. What is going on? Here. I don't know, man. Is Euphemia becoming all too real? Wait, what was that? Oh, okay. Maybe it was something else. Maybe the bell didn't fall over. Maybe I heard something else. <laughs> Let's, uh, hey, Tyler, keep this out of the edit. Well, whatever the case may be, we are having like a little too much fun doing this one. Yeah, it's been a good time. Yeah. Hearing that voice last night was quite a trip. Being in the boiler room was the engine room. That was too, you know. Pitch black. It was very dark. Very dark. And it had this sort of like wet air. Very uncomfortable place to be. <laughs> giant metal, giant pieces of metal all around you and above you. Just like ready to crush you. I'm surrounded by water. Surrounded by water. And apparently lots of spirits. So. Uh, I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, we are on the legendary Queen Mary cruise ship with illusionist, apparitionist, Aidan Sinclair. When surrounded by ornate lore of an age gone by, are the alleged spirits of this vessel reaching out to be heard, or are we simply shipmates with manifestations, energy, magic of our own doing? Next, on Euphemet. I 
last saw Aiden Sinclair while at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. I was taping an episode with investigators Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Randall when they introduced me to Aiden, a well-dressed man of another time, well-spoken, kind. Each time I've met him, he's had a cold, like someone on the grind. No time to waste when you're building a new life and public persona, when you are dumping all of your energy into creating a space for others to lose their sense of time, their notion of what can be real, to open them up to possibilities of the unknown, of ghosts. Aiden, like most, has his own ghosts. An article from atlasobscura.com writes it best, On a July episode of the primetime competition show America's Got Talent, a compact, grim man in ripped jeans and a vest and tie took the stage. Holding up a pack of cards, he announced, I'm not real proud of this, but about ten years ago, I found this pack of cards in a federal prison. But Aiden has spent the last decade or more in atonement for his past, sharing his stories with others who, like him, are perhaps a little too cunning to have had a tough childhood and not do something about it, a little too creative and ambitious to settle for the life, the identity that has been given to them. Now, Aiden has become one of the world's preeminent illusionists, and while at the Stanley, I experienced Aiden's ability to bring the paranormal and alleged haunted locations to life in front of people's eyes in his Illusions of the Past stage show, a rich, supernatural experience which aptly is described as a theatrical seance. But unlike many magical or theatrical interpretations of what is seemingly very real phenomena, Aiden treats the stories the subjects, the anomalies with heartfelt respect, and expresses an empathy that is poignant and rare in today's climate of sensationalized hauntery. Aiden, like the audience, like the spirits who perhaps inhabit the space, are using illusion to manifest the past, and more importantly, our connection to it. And what's cool on the paranormal side is it's an incredibly active place. First month we were here, nothing. But honestly, we weren't really looking for it either. We were too busy, you know. Uh, now we've had activity in the last three weeks that's been really, really interesting. Mostly contained to one case and the ship itself. Uh, so, okay, You're getting me super excited and I'm, I've got chills on me yeah. because I know what I know about you. We've only met once. I know about your work, and we have very many mutual friends. Yeah. You are on the skeptical side. Uh, a lot, yeah? A lot less now after working really? at the Stanley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I got into the world of the paranormal, I have very close friends who are paranormal investigators, the TV guys, you know, people like Grant and Carl and Amy and Adam, and they're, they're incredible people. And um, when you get to know these people and they tell you their stories, y you immediately get the sense that they're genuine uh but it's hard to go like i don't believe in believing in something without evidence so for me i couldn't just go okay just because you say so ghosts are real i i, I can't make that leap uh, i'm not that person uh so uh amy bruni runs strange escapes you know this amazing paranormal travel company she has me out to an event in uh, port townsend washington 
and I got in very, very late at night, and when I walked into this room, I was wearing a shirt that had studs on it, and I popped the studs off of it and threw them down on my dresser, and then I emptied out my pockets like any guy does and just threw everything down on the dresser. And I got up in the morning, and the studs were in a straight line. The earbuds that I had thrown down on the dresser were, were stretched out in a straight line. My change had been stacked up like a pyramid from quarter uh, to dime. And on the opposite side of the dresser uh, where my cufflinks were laid nice and neat. And it messed with my reality because I, I literally stood staring at this dresser for five minutes. And I'm just looking at these things and I'm like, I'm a little OCD, but I did not do that. And I knew I didn't do that. And I, I sleep light. You, nobody came into my room. So I go downstairs, and uh, Amy's assistant at the time, this woman named Sarah, goes, so, how was your night? And I was like, that was fine. You know, like, I don't want to really talk about what I just saw. And she goes, so, uh, anything happened in your room? And I was like, why do you ask? And she goes, well, Raven stayed in that room. And we have this mutual friend, Raven Quinn, who's an extraordinary musician. And uh, Raven had performed at this event the year before me, and it turned out she had stayed in the same room. And uh, this woman, Sarah, goes, well, Raven stayed in that room, and she, she had something happen. And I was like, well, what happened? And she explains that Raven had to rush to a rehearsal. And so when she got to the room, she had dumped out a suitcase full of shoes so that she could put on her Doc Martens. And then when she left the room, there was this pile of shoes, and when she came back, the shoes were in a straight line under her bed. So I still don't tell this woman, Sarah, about the stuff that happened. I was like, okay. And I walk away, and I pick up my phone, and I call Raven. I was like, hey, Raven, I'm sorry to bug you, but uh, I'm at Port Townsend. And before I could say anything else, she goes, oh, my God, I stayed in this room there, and there's this OCD ghost that's straightened out all my shoes. And I was like, what room were you in? And she tells me a number. It's the exact same room number I was staying in. So that was the first paranormal thing that, that happened. Then I go back to the Stanley, and there had been things happening, but I was a little more willing to look at them in a paranormal sense. Uh, by the last year at the Stanley, we started doing things in the show, and they seemed to be having impact on the hotel. And that was interesting. Uh, it was as if uh, the, the activity that we brought with the show was creating paranormal activity at the same time. I think the title that we most use here is, uh, is an illusionist and apparitionist. Uh, apparitionist is a term that's not used anymore. Uh, it was a term used in the 1800s for people that actually conjured ghosts. Uh, it was mostly applied to spirit photographers uh, who created apparitions. And, and this was a time when people were going to seances where you had that 11 million population that believed in spirits and spiritualism and that uh, that people were seeking out mediums and mediums became these people who spoke for the departed but there were very few people that would actually go here's a ghost I'm going to conjure one I'm going to I'm going to bring one into the room and they're going to do things you're going to sit on a chair and I'm going to take your picture and in doing so uh, an apparition will appear I love that phrase apparitionist that you could create a ghost uh but above all, we always put magician or illusionist on all the marketing material because I also want to be clear that it is a theatrical experience. There are things in every single show that I've done here on the Queen Mary or at the Stanley that are very, very real. There are things that have happened in shows that from the stage are interesting to watch from a paranormal perspective to go like, I didn't do that. Uh, people have gone to the show and seen things 
uh, had experiences with things that we would call ghosts. They, they're not. I didn't do it. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, what's great is the audience member will leave not knowing that. You know, it becomes entertaining for me to be like, what, what affected the room tonight? You know, what caused a glass to fall and shatter? You know, what caused something to move across a room sometimes that was not an animated effect in the show? Mainly with being here, we just wanted to create an experience. There's some nights we'll do a mediumistic piece in the show where someone will will speak to a departed person. The methodology I employ is is something that allows that connection to take place. And those shows get very heavy. The trick to it, though, was how do you do that without it hurting someone? So if you're going to do it, it needs to be cathartic. It needs to be... Uh, it needs to be a good experience for the person doing the looking. I often will let the audience choose the participant. That way everyone knows it wasn't a stooge, it wasn't set up. The very first night that I do this piece at the Stanley, I let the audience choose the participant, and it is the one person in the room I absolutely would not have chosen. Having done time, he's got tattoos on him that I can, I can read, uh, he's, a, he's a member of a gang uh, he has killed people uh, and he has marks on his body saying that he's done at least 25 years in prison and he's an older Hispanic guy he's also physically capable of ripping my head off of my shoulders he's huge and this big, scary, intimidating guy is now the guy that's going to participate so we sit down and uh, the memory that he had he wanted to see his granddad and now he's not said any of that out loud. Um, but he wanted to see his granddad and his happy memory uh, was that as a child he would sit on his granddad's lap and his granddad used to carry juicy fruit gum in his shirt pocket. And he would always give his grandkid a piece of juicy fruit. So the guy sits down to participate in the piece. Very serious, stone-faced, scary-looking dude. And... I, I'm looking at him of like, I don't want to do much with this guy, and I just want to get him off stage. Because I don't think he's, he's not a guy that's going to emote. I don't think he'll, he's even going to, there's going to be anything here. Uh, and this is the first time I've done it. So I'm like, oh man, you know, what's, I've never done this, and I've got 200 people in front of me. So, because I'm not practiced at it, because I don't really know where it's going to go, uh, and because I'm a little intimidated by the guy, I go, look, uh, uh, sometimes when people do this, they have information to tell you. I don't have anything to tell you. Uh, I'm really sorry. I feel like um, I feel like I'm supposed to have something for you, and I don't have it. Um, I, I I feel like I'm supposed to have something in my shirt pocket for you, and and I I don't have anything in my pocket for you today, and I'm sorry. And that's all I said to him. And this big bear of a guy smiles and you just start to see tears just rolling down his face and the whole room just kind of sets back was like what the hell and uh, he stands up and he, he wipes his eyes and he, he goes thank you um, and uh, then he walks over and he gives me this huge hug and uh, lets me go and unprompted he looks at the audience and he says uh, he goes the only happy memory I had in my life was sitting on my grandfather's lap and he used to have gum for me in his pocket. 
and then he pointed you know where I had just pointed to and it was profound and like the whole room was just like to see this big scary guy suddenly a moat was huge and when I saw that I was like that's an important piece to do it's an important piece to, to allow people to connect uh, I've had some magicians see me do it that say well you just you should tell people at the end that it's not real that's not fair to just dismiss them and say thank you for participating um, but I, I won't tell people that it's not real because for the person who participates it is probably the realest part of the show because that person sees a ghost they actually and that's what I love about what I do is people leave this room every day and they have no idea what part of the show was real and what part wasn't And something happens every single night. Uh, we've had the woman that believes she saw a sailor popping her head out from a curtain here. Someone dressed in, in a period sailor outfit. We don't hire an actor. So when this woman was like, I love the actor. That was really cool that you dressed somebody up. I was great. I'm glad you glad you had that experience of the room going up. There, there's nobody back there. There's nobody that she could have seen. One of the coolest things in a show one night, we were doing the marble effect that you saw tonight. A bag of marbles goes into the audience. Five people pick a marble. Four of the marbles are yellow, one of them is black. Very simple. We bring this little girl up on stage, and uh, before I can give her a bell or any type of indicator to try to indicate where the marble is, this little girl couldn't have been more than 10. She goes, you don't have to tell me, you want me to find the black marble, right? And I was like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Uh, she was like, it's okay. The ghost already told me. I was like, really? What ghost? She was like, the little girl. The little girl that was sitting next to me. And I was like, there's a little girl sitting next to you? And she goes, yeah, she's sitting on the floor. She's still right there. And you could have heard a pin drop in this room. Because everybody was like, okay, this girl's creepy. And I'm looking at this girl like going, okay, she's just maybe a theater kid and she's having fun. So I said, okay, so you already know who has the black marble? She goes, yeah, that guy has it. I said, sir, do uh, you have it? And he was like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look. And I was like, well, open up your hand. Sure as hell, this guy's got the black marble. And this girl goes, see, I told you. And then she walks off stage. Uh, one of the weirdest things that happened at the Stanley is I got bored one summer and just decided to... Uh, I decided to put everything creepy and weird and haunted on stage at one time. So I think in the collection there's about 46 items total. We put them all on stage, and at the time there were three different porcelain dolls on stage. Each one had its own nature of creepiness, and I decided to throw a beanbag out in the audience. And uh, whoever caught the beanbag, whatever item they picked, that's what the show would be about. And I was like, that'll be kind of fun. I'm like, you don't know what's going to happen tonight whatever they pick we're just gonna wing it and see where the show goes i throw out the mean bag first night person catches it and they point to the doll that's on stage tonight what's the story with that doll and i was like great because that was a show already we already talked about her all the time i was like oh tonight is a show about lily we're gonna do a show about the girl who owned the doll awesome this is gonna be fun and then that happened 21 shows in a row It didn't matter who got the beanbag. 
I would move the doll. I'd put her out of the eye line so she was harder to see. She always managed to be seen. The very last night, I decided to do something I generally won't do on the show, which is manipulate it. I was like, well, I'm tired of telling this story, for one. For two, it's a little weird that she keeps coming back. Uh, so I'm going to deliberately pick somebody that I don't think is likely to pick the doll. So I find this maybe 14-year-old boy, hat on sideways, sagging jeans, punching his sister, kind of a jerk. And uh, I was like, he's going to pick the mummy head. There's a mummified human head in the room. That's a boy thing. He's not going to pick this girl doll. And that night, the doll is out of the eyeline. It's kind of hidden. And I, I throw him the beanbag, and I'm like, anything you choose. And he literally was still kind of posturing, like, anything. Like, he was the star of the show for a minute, so he loved it. He's got all the attention on him. And uh, he steps away from his chair, literally kind of looks at everything, just kind of showboating a little bit. And then he stops, and he sees the doll. And then he gets weird. He takes his hat off, looks at me, he goes, What's the story with that doll, sir? His whole demeanor changed, his verbiage changed. I'm looking at his mother, her mother mother was literally like, Sir, where 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 did that come from? You know, like that was it was such a non characteristic response for this kid. Where did all this respect suddenly come from? Because he he wasn't respectful when we started. Uh, what's the story with this doll? So, at the end of that night, the doll went in a box. I, it, it makes you wonder about, you know, what's around us, what's here. You know, can you, can you truly become an apparitionist? Can you conjure spirits? And can anybody do it? And what's in the world that we can't see? I've had people go into the rope room of the ship and, and they're like, I have to leave. You know, we had somebody here the other night that I know and trust and love and they're, they have that quality about them to where they were like, I need to lean against something solid because this place feels icky to them. And it feels icky because they pick up on all that. When they walk through the space, they don't see the hallway that Clark Gable walked down. They focus on the tragedy. Uh, and it's it that's got to be tough, you know, like... Um, uh, for me, it's more of you have to put yourself in that mindset. And what I like is that I can walk down the hallway and go either way. Like, I can go to room B340 and think about Walter. This poor guy was found dead. And I can also think about all the Disney stories that have been made up about B340. You know, they're like, oh, yes, 20 people were murdered. And no, that, nobody was murdered. Nobody was shot. Nobody was, you know. Uh, and I love the Internet. Like, you go on the internet, like, the Jackie story is amazing to me that that is a story. Where's the little girl who drowned in the pool? And that story comes from paranormal investigators who came here and got EVPs or some ambiguous evidence. And they have decided that she drowned in the pool. There's no documentation to that. Not one of those paranormal investigators has been given access to the archives. Have, have and it's hard because there's a gajillion freaking logbooks down there and you have to go through every one page by page this is not ancient history it's 1936 they they were really good about documenting stuff you get people sued back then just like they sued today when people die on a ship you're it's a, you're accountable that's how we know who died there's no Jackie so that doesn't mean she didn't haunt the place though so I, I think it's very sad in the paranormal that that is the, the immediate go-to is tragedy. 
Murder, suicide, violent death. That's why there's ghosts. Murder, suicide, violent death. Makes a ghost residual haunting. You know what? There's a lot more good in the world than there's bad. There's a lot more laughter, kisses, and you know what I mean? There's So I, I think the residual haunting can be created just through happiness uh, as much as anything else. And it doesn't matter your religious belief. It really doesn't. If you're a complete atheist, you got to accept that when you turn off a light, it goes someplace. Uh, if you are a devout Christian and you believe in heaven, then who's to define what heaven is? You know, is it really pearly gates on a cloud and a guy sitting in a chair? Or is it uh, I get to spend eternity in the place where I'm the most happy? You know, I would hope that it would be I get to spend forever where I'm happy with the people I love. I mean, that's that's the, the shiny Summerland, you know, is the we move on to this place where it's better. Uh, and we don't know until we get there. I, I would rather have people look for the living than look for the dead. And if you can take one person who came here looking for ghosts and make them go, ooh, wait a minute, you know, maybe the lady in white's here because she was happy. It's a happy place, not, not, oh, there's a lady in white that was chopped up with an axe. That that never happened either. And I think if you're a genuine paranormal investigator, isn't that what you want? Is the is to investigate and find the truth of of what it is. If you were to see a magician a hundred years ago. Probably the greatest magician you could have seen was Howard Thurston. He was the David Copperfield of his day. He was a contemporary of Houdini's and ten times more famous than Houdini was when Houdini was alive. Thurston performed the levitation that we've all seen a million magicians do. But when Thurston did it, he walked out on stage and he told his audience, you know, I have gone to India and studied at the feet of yogis to learn this secret. And tonight I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to levitate this woman. And he does this. And this was in a time before YouTube and air travel. And so when this man in a tuxedo that spoke very well walked on stage and told this story uh, and then produced it, people believed it. They didn't believe that they were watching a trick. They were like, that was, that's a miracle. This guy just performed something extraordinary. Uh, today, magic is trivialized. It's the the feeling of the supernatural is gone. What I love about what I do, and being in a place like this, is people have these very personal experiences, and they leave the room not really knowing what was real and what wasn't. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. If in Southern California, go experience Aiden's show, Illusions of the Past, Legends of the Queen Mary, for yourself. You can get tickets at queenmary.com, and for more of Aiden's work, you can visit aidensinclair.net. There you will find some beautiful videos by Carl Pfeiffer. I'd like to thank Empty Faces for their support. Please check out their offers in our show notes and take advantage of these really great partners to the show. And make sure to join us on Facebook. Our group, The Society of You've Met, is where myself and listeners go to share their own experiences and talk about the show. You can follow us at Euphemet on social media and me at It's Jim Perry on Twitter and Instagram. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.